Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you in the presence of God today, and good morning to all of you who are with us online, worshiping from many different locations. It is good to be with you as well. And uh, before we dive into God's Word today, I have a bittersweet announcement to make. Um, 111 Project is a ministry that I have great respect for, great admiration for. Uh, Their ministry and their focus is for every church in Oklahoma to find one family that would adopt one child out of our foster system. And if all churches in Oklahoma would do that, one family adopt one child who's eligible for adoption, all of those children would have families. And I love this vision. I love this ministry. I don't love that they've recruited my executive assistant away from our staff. So Brie Cruz, um, child advocacy, I know it's in your veins, and child advocacy is getting a major upgrade in the state of Oklahoma because of you, um, just like Redeemer has. So I love you and your family, I honor you, and I thank you so much for the amazing ministry that you've done in this place, and I want our church family to honor you. Would you stand, your whole beautiful family stand up. Come on, come on, give them your best this morning. Oh, um, I also was at the family retreat this weekend with my family, sleeping on two-inch thick mattresses like many others. So we're very tired and we have sore backs. I'd like to show you a picture from the family retreat. This is me, and that's a kid who's coming in second place <laughs> behind me. And that's all you need to know. Those of you who bring your kids and you're like, surely they're going to give us a chance to win? No. Um, If you get into any kind of competition, we're not going to let you. So, um, poor kids. The real real win, though, is that we had 40 or 41 families attend our family retreat. Go ahead, yeah. Um, Over 180 people at this retreat this weekend, and so I'm just so grateful for our children's ministry staff, our student ministry staff, who sowed countless hours into making this happen for our families, and, uh, and I hope if you were not with us this weekend, just these announcements are luring you in for next year. Um, during this Lenten season, we're going to be looking at invitations that Jesus made to individuals throughout his ministry, and the invitation that we're looking at today is this, follow me. We're going to look at three different interactions that Jesus has in Luke chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, and it'll also be on the screen for you this morning. But here in Luke 9, we see the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, also known as the travel narrative. Luke 9.51 says, when the days drew near for him, for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face. The Bible gives this picture of complete resolve and complete determination. 
He was determined to go to Jerusalem. He set out in obedience to God, knowing where he's going to go, knowing what awaited him there. And this was not simply a human decision, but this response to the divine necessity that was laid upon his life. He had a single-minded intention to obey God. And although he knew that his time had almost come to fulfill his destiny, he was not stuck on this rigid travel itinerary like, I just got to get to Jerusalem. But instead, as he went, he interacts with people. Uh, the statement in Luke 17, 11, that he was passing through the area between Samaria and Galilee indicates that Jesus was, in fact, no closer to Jerusalem than he was in chapter 9 when he was about to enter a Samaritan village. So you get this picture of complete resolve and determination to go to Jerusalem, but at the same time, this picture that he was present. He was present with people. I love how one author summarizes these 10 chapters of this travel narrative of Jesus when he was on the move. This author writes, the travel narrative of Jesus has an ecclesiological purpose that invites readers to see themselves as a community on mission, always on the move, always on the journey, always in the presence of the Lord. Disciples must learn to walk the path of self-denial themselves. This travel setting becomes an opportunity for discipleship formation in which Jesus provides instruction on the nature and the call and the costs and the rewards of discipleship. Jesus' instructions along the way become a paradigm for the mission of the church. Now, when this author writes about ecclesiological purpose, that refers to a theology that's applied to the nature and the structure of the Christian church, meaning what we learn from these conversations that Jesus is having on his journey are relevant, they're important, they're critical for us to read and digest and absorb as a part of our lives and as a part of our church today. So I share all of this to tee up all five weeks of this series and invite you, as we look at invitations that Jesus made to others, I want to invite you to picture yourself there on the road. Picture yourself along the journey with Jesus. Or picture yourself hearing some of these invitations as you look in and see his interactions with others. Consider how might you respond if you heard Jesus extending these invitations. One thing that we certainly learn in all of his conversations, is that radical self-denial is required. Everybody say required. It is required of anyone who wishes to follow Jesus. Radical self-denial. Not Sunday morning self-denial. Not pushing back your brunch. Radical self-denial. Okay, who's ready for the text? Who's ready for God's word today? Okay, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Although this man in this first interaction seems to be bursting with zeal, 
complete excitement about this opportunity before him to follow Jesus, perhaps he was a bit impulsive. Did he commit to Jesus before he evaluated the cost of following Jesus? And this is perfectly normal human behavior. How many of you have had a friend say, hey, bud, can you help me move in this weekend? Sure, I'll be there. Then you show up and you see the furniture. And then you regret your offer. And it's even worse when you're the one who owns the pickup truck. So you have to be there. And they don't even reimburse you for gas. We can be a bit impulsive and commit before we know the cost. This guy in verse 57 thought that discipleship with Jesus would be some sort of glamorous life. When Jesus reveals the true nature of discipleship in his response, if I may paraphrase what I see Jesus saying here, that's really adorable that you want to follow me wherever I go. Do you realize what that means, though? Have you counted the cost? Are you really ready? Are you willing to cut past ties and depend unwaveringly on me? Why do you want to come with me? Are you signing up to see miracles? Are you just following me because you want to be where the action is? Are you just saying yes to me because you're interested in my blessings? Or are you following me because you're devoted to me and my mission and you want to serve God? What is it? As for the mention of foxes, there might be, there could be a little political nuance behind Jesus' words because in Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus refer to Herod as a fox. So Jesus could be implying here, hey, all of Israel has a home here, except for me, the true Israel. But now I'm disinherited. If you cast your lot with me and join the ranks of the dispossessed, my question is, are you prepared to follow me and serve God under these conditions? Or are you just interested in the glamorous life? A difficult question that this man had to answer. If, in fact, Jesus was taking a jab at the political, uh, Israel's political enemies, I think that's awesome. Just a side note. I think that'd be awesome. Because Jesus is loving, and he's kind, and he's tender. But I think he can also be a little feisty. Is everybody okay today with a feisty Jesus? Okay. And here's the real awkward transition that we see in the text between interaction number one and interaction number two. Because the first guy initiated conversation with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I want to come and I want to follow you. But they're all standing there. And then here's the weird moment where after the first person says that to Jesus, and Jesus is like, yeah, are you sure? And then Jesus's eyes scan across the crowd and bang. Now Jesus locks eyes with someone and Jesus initiates the second conversation. Imagine if you were, again, along the roadside and this happened to you like, whoa, I just was listening in, and now Jesus is talking to me. That's what happened in verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In Jewish culture, family loyalty and family responsibilities took precedence over nearly everything else. And one of the most significant roles that a family, and specifically a son, would play 
is to put together and arrange a suitable burial for a father. Failing to do so would reflect poorly on the son's character and on the family's reputation. So for Jesus to override this really sacred responsibility would have been profoundly shocking to hear. I mean, the crowd would have gone, what? But he was telling this prospective disciple and all who were listening by that following him was the most supreme commitment imaginable. The cultural practice at the time was to begin preparing a body for burial immediately after the person passed away. So the fact that the guy says, let me go bury my my father, makes me think the father hadn't kicked the bucket yet. Because the dude's out wandering around. He's out and about. He's on the streets. He's with the crowd. He's listening in. He's there with Jesus and others listening, right? He's not at home. He's not grieving. He's not preparing for this ceremony. So essentially what we see here is a guy telling Jesus, Jesus, yeah, I may follow you. I'm interested, but I'm, I'm unavailable right now. Maybe in the future, Lord, but not right now. Do you know what you and I need to tell all of our friends who don't know Jesus? That the very best time to say yes, the moment to say yes and follow Jesus is not tomorrow. It's right this second. It's right now. There's no room for procrastination when it comes to saying yes to Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'll be there eventually, but not today. Maybe you felt that way long ago before you said yes to Jesus, and maybe you know somebody in your life that's saying that today. Listen, through love, not through judgment, through grace, not through condemnation, that's our message to the world that we live in. The best time to say yes to follow Jesus is yesterday, right now, never tomorrow. Lastly, in verse 61, still another This is our third interaction. Another man said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. This seems like a more natural and innocent request of Jesus, right? I mean, how how many of y'all ever got in trouble for your mother worrying about where you were or what you were up to? I mean, it seems innocent. Jesus, I want to come, but I need to go tell my mom what's up. I need to go tell my mom where I'm going to be. Because if I don't go tell my mom where I'm going to be, then you got to deal with her, Lord. Right? There's going to be consequences. I'll take them or you can take them. He says, let me go back. And Jesus responds through the imagery of plowing. I know plowing is a hobby that many of you have these days, but if not, you know that plowing requires an attentive eye. Plowing requires serious focus, as not keeping a straight line could break the beam of the plow, and then you got big trouble on your hands. You got to keep your eyes forward. So I sat there and stared at this verse for a while this week. And I really struggled with it. And here's why. It says you can't put a hand to the plow 
and looks back, he who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. But I started thinking, you can push a plow and look back. You can. Let me prove it. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm plowing and looking back. And then I'm going to plow some more. And then I'm going to stop and look back. You can, so I'm looking at this verse like, why? This doesn't make any sense. I'm plowing and I can stop and look back. What's the problem, Lord? And so when I don't understand something, you know what I do? Oh, I go look at the Greek. The Greek is hard. But I realized in the Greek that put a hand to the plow is past tense. No one who put a hand to, is this intriguing to anyone? This is exciting to me. So just fake it till we finish if it's not. No one who put a hand to the plow, past tense, cannot look back. Yes, you can. You can look back. But Jesus is not saying you're not going to glance back. Of course I can glance back as long as I stop the plow. In the Greek, it means this. Look. No, the Greek. The Greek. (laughs) See, you all recognize this from your quiet time, I know. You know what it means, though? It doesn't mean looks back. And I'm not trying to get in a wrestling match with the NIV here. It means looking. Present tense. All the time. Looking on things behind. Now it makes sense. I cannot plow while I'm looking behind me. This is the most beautiful picture of discipleship. You cannot receive a new heart, but keep looking over your shoulder at the old heart. You cannot receive a new mind in Christ, and he says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but keep looking behind you at the things of this world. You cannot receive new promises and a new identity and the promise of a future with God for all of eternity while still looking behind you at the old self who was separated from God. You cannot be looking forward with the plow at the security that you have in God but still be looking behind you at your doubts and your fears and your insecurities. You got to keep looking forward. Isaiah, remember this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And the chief theologian of the church, Paul, wrote, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Christ Jesus. See, this is heavenward. And we're not going there if we're always looking back here. Got to keep moving forward. Luke 9, 57 through 62 reveals the demands of discipleship. To follow Jesus requires full. Everybody say full. Say it like me, full. It requires full, undivided concentration. Not moving forward with Christ as a new creation, but looking back at the old self, the old man, the old woman, 
Author Lee Camp summarizes this well. He writes, Jesus of Nazareth always comes asking disciples to follow him, not merely accept him, because too many people today accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Not merely believe in him, because what does James say about the demons? Even the demons believe. Not merely worship him, because we can move our lips in church, but nothing's happening in our heart. But to follow him. One either follows Christ or does not. There's no compartmentalization of the faith, no realm, no sphere, no business, no politic in which the lordship of Christ will be excluded. We either make him Lord of all lords or we deny him as Lord of any. We don't follow like this. He's either Lord of all lords or we deny him as Lord of any. Okay, I want you to think for a second about a career change, a major career change that you made in your life. And if you've never made one, you know, just imagine it with me, hypothetically, for a moment. When you finished your interviews, and the company has been asking you question after question to see if you were the right fit for the company, and then they offer you the job. Well done. Then what happens? You get to start asking the questions. You get to look at the company and say, are you the right fit for me? You think I'm the right fit for you, but are you the right fit for me? You analyzed the job description, you considered the salary, you looked into the benefits, you checked on opportunities for promotion. There in the new city, you looked at the school system and you looked at the crime rate and you looked at the recreational activities and you made sure they were gonna slap a little relocation but what's it called? Moving bonus, whatever. For the most part, you knew what you were getting into when you accepted the job. With Jesus, there are no interviews. We all know there are certainly benefits. But when you say yes to following Jesus, we remember that at the very end of this, there's a crown of glory. There is a crown of glory, but first we have to pick up our cross. We have to die to self. It is no longer I who lives, but it is he, Christ, who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. So I pick up my cross, bids me come and die, and find that I may truly live. I offer these ageless lyrics to you to conclude and may the Holy Spirit minister to you through them. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. We now have the opportunity to take communion with one another. And 
We're not all gonna take that together, but at any moment in the next few minutes as Leanne plays, take time to sit and reflect and pause and soak in the presence of the Lord. And remember, remember his promises to you. So come to this sacred table today, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and in your sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come, not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Would you pray with me now? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Whenever you're ready, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him and may this be food for your spiritual journey. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.